0: Good morning, James, or do you prefer Jim?
1: Uh, Either one works, but let's go with James. I think that's how most people know me. Uh, Okay. Great to be here. Welcome
0: back to the Wednesday Point. Um, Homelessness, or rather houselessness, has been getting a lot of media attention as of late, as it should. How many houseless individuals have been identified in Central Oregon?
1: The point-in-time count, which happens in January last, or well for this year, 2021, uh, counted a little over 1,000 in Central Oregon. Uh, We know that number is low because it's an actual count, it's voluntary participation. Um, So the number is somewhat higher than that, exactly how much, it's really hard to say. Do
0: you have the breakdown by city at all?
1: Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but since we're talking about Redmond last um, today, uh, the last count there was a, a little bit under 200 people were counted in, in January.
0: Wow. So <laughs> speaking of Redmond, to bring our listeners up to date, Bethlehem Inn received a $2.7 million state grant as part of the Project Turnkey to purchase the old Greenway Motel in downtown Redmond and convert it to a homeless shelter. That was back in April. Bring us up to date. Where's the project now, and how is the conversion being funded?
1: Uh, The conversion's going forward. uh, The last time I checked in with Gwen Wisling at Bethlehem Inn, they were hoping to be open in the next two or three weeks. Uh, It's a construction project during a time where construction labor is in short supply, and rehabbing an old hotel, they run into a lot of unexpected things, but they're hopeful that that will be open Shortly, uh, the funding has been through a combination of that state grant you mentioned. Uh, the uh, county also put up uh, a total of $900,000 to go towards that project as well. And then I believe there's some other private sources.
0: Wasn't the city of Redmond asked to match the county's donation of $450,000? Uh,
1: they were, and they chose not to. The uh, the uh, city council stated at least a majority of the city council stated pretty clearly that they didn't view uh, houselessness as a problem for the city to address or to donate to uh, direct money towards Uh, and they dumped that off on the county and in the case of bethlehem in the county did pick up that that match part Uh, in terms of some other projects that were requested funding including oasis village uh, didn't receive any funding from this round of the uh, American Rescue Plan funds.
2: So that was odd, because hadn't they originally given at least some sort of an agreement, made some sort of an agreement that they would match the county, hadn't they met with the county commissioners and talked this out and sort of pledged that they, the city council was willing to match their funds in the beginning?
1: My understanding of that from uh, having listened to the uh, county commissioners is their understanding was that the city of Redmond was going to step up and match that $450,000. The city of Redmond decided uh, not to do that and threw it back to the county and the county did step up and cover that. But in doing that, of course, that uh, ate up a lot of funding that could have potentially been available for some other Projects in Redmond or in Deschutes County, for that matter.
2: And what's the, what's the city doing with that four hundred fifty thousand dollars that they didn't use for homelessness?
1: Um, actually, the the city uh, received, uh, I believe it's two point nine million in ARPA funding. Uh, they, at the last minute, decided to designate two hundred fifty thousand dollars to a uh, kitchen remodel at the senior center they donated they dedicated uh, fifty thousand dollars to getting a safe parking program in redmond started which is essentially the only investment they made in houselessness uh, and the rest of the money has been designated for the uh, new public safety slash police station project that will be coming forward um, that project is learned to be funded primarily by a bond issue uh, the city saved itself about $30,000 a year by spending the ARPA money on that funding. They were able to do that basically through a loophole that allowed them to count the lost revenue at the airport as lost city revenue, uh, because the air, the city does own the airport. Uh, and even though the, the airport's basically been made whole by federal funds for that, uh, but that allowed them, rather than dedicating it uh, towards... Projects directed to those most uh, seriously affected by COVID uh, to just basically put it in their general fund and spend it as they chose.
0: We're just shaking our heads. Uh, Jim, how many houseless individuals will Bethlehem Inn serve?
1: I believe when it's operating at full capacity, and I think they're going to stage their opening, but I believe up to around 80 uh people they can accommodate, depending, of course, on, you know, whether they're, it's a family or an individual, but the capacity would be somewhere around 80.
0: You mentioned safe parking. What exactly is that, and why is it just now legal?
1: Well, it's been legal for a while. The state uh, broadened the definition a little bit, but basically it allows uh, a nonprofit, a church, or even a for-profit organization to allow uh, people who are living in their vehicles to park on their parking lot um, as a, as a safe location for them to be. Uh, The requirement is uh, they have to have sanitary facilities. Uh, There needs to be someone overseeing the site and there's an agreement uh, between the site and the city to make sure the uh, requirements the city wants to put in place are met. Uh, It's, first came to central oregon about a year ago during the pandemic Uh, reach started a a project there and they've had a couple churches operate they've managed to get uh, a few people uh, off the streets and ultimately into housing which is the ultimate goal Uh, the problem is we don't have enough affordable housing to to accommodate the people who need it and can even afford it we had the opportunity, we, we saw the need for it here, and uh, Mountain View Fellowship, Pastor Rick Russell, reached out to uh, Stacy Whitty with REACH to see about bringing it to Redmond. And we were able to get the, the city council to pass the enabling legislation that allows it.
0: How will the safe parking project actually be managed? Who will be in charge of
1: that? Uh, REACH has... Uh, Hired a full time person to uh, actually do case management at locations in both Bend and Redmond. Uh, Stacy Whitty will be overseeing it uh, at a higher level. And then, of course, the individual uh, churches, businesses, or nonprofits that are sharing their parking lot uh, will have uh, an amount of involvement that's really up to them.
0: Switching to Bend for just a moment, are there safe parking opportunities there?
1: Uh, There is, I believe currently there's one church operating a safe parking space, and I can't remember which church that is. Um, They've had a couple churches operating it, but uh, one was in a church that operates a daycare, and when the daycare opened, the church chose not to continue safe parking. So they're looking for additional spots in Bend. Uh, We're looking for additional spots in Redmond as well.
2: I'm just wondering at each of these uh, churches and buildings that agreed to allow their parking lot to become available to homeless people in RVs, how many RVs are allowed to park in each of these parking lots?
1: That's going to depend on on the church and also the organization and also what the city deems is uh, appropriate for that particular site. Uh, You know, a lot of it depends on the size of the parking lot, uh, the nearness to neighbors, the, uh, the visibility. Uh, I think most places tend to have, uh, you know, three to six spots. But again, it, it just depends what actually works for that location.
0: You, you mentioned visibility. I think that's one of the problems in Redmond is that our houseless people aren't visible. Not like Bend, where they are at freeway off ramps and so forth, or rather, they are out east of the city, correct
1: uh primarily, uh, and Bob can address that a lot better than I can when he when he gets online, but uh, there are also people in vehicles and other places in the city. Um, You know, I haven't been down in the Dry Canyon recently, but some people tell me that that they see some people camping down there as well. Um, You know, the difference, one of the differences between Redmond and Bend is uh, Bend's problem wasn't really all that visible not too long ago. But as uh, the situation has worsened with COVID and we have more people experiencing houselessness, and also as people were cleared out of uh, Juniper Ridge and Emerson Street, uh, you know, those people don't go away. They're not necessarily all that mobile. They just move someplace else and they're not going to move farther away because that makes it even harder for them to access basic services, you know, like shopping. Uh, they're going to tend to move even closer where they can access those services. So as uh in what I consider a very misguided effort to to clear out some of these locations as those sweeps happen, uh, it generally makes the problem even more visible and forces people into uh, more neighborhoods and into more visibility um, rather than less.
2: So recently in Bend, ODOT decided to sweep all the people who were parked at the different on-ramps and off-ramps, um, one near Revere and one, anyway, I, there were three of them. So yeah. where are those people going? What, what's happening to those people?
1: Um, those people don't have a, a safe and legal place to go, so they're going to go somewhere else. And that could be, um, you know, they could end up out at Hunnell, uh, although that's pretty crowded out there. Uh, they could end up at China Hat. Uh, we think some people, uh, after they cleared Emerson, some came to Redmond. Um, they're going to disperse into the community into a place that they feel they can uh, they can exist uh, for a while until you know the next time somebody decides to sweep. Uh, you know, it's living in an on ramp is not a good location. I don't think anybody thinks that's the right thing to do, but. Uh, you know, some of these people have been already forced off once or twice from somewhere else. They don't have a choice really where to go, uh, and you know, it's to me to to force people to move without being able to tell them a place to go where they can be legal and safe. Uh, you know, it's 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 in, inhumane. It's ineffective, uh, and we know it doesn't work.
0: Wow, winter. This year is predicted to be a harsh one. What facilities will be available to the houseless individuals in Redmond and Bend?
1: Well, the Redmond, sh- the Bend shelter is operating already at capacity, uh, so Bend is going to be very stressed to uh, accommodate people this winter. Uh, the Redmond shelters will operate in local churches as they have in the past, and it wouldn't be surprising to see uh, more. Uh, people there just because there are fewer spots available and more people.
0: Let's bring our second guest, Bob Bohack, into the conversation. Bob, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got involved with the homeless community.
3: Good morning. Thank you very much for inviting me and in to be part of this conversation. Um, my wife and I moved here uh, to Central Oregon back in 2013. I had been a little bit acquainted with it because I attended the University of Oregon way back in the 1960s, if anybody can remember that part back.
0: Back when we didn't have much of a football team. Uh,
3: exactly. <laughs> Very few victories during the time I was there. Um, one of the things that we, both my wife and I, but I've been involved with over the last 30 years has been uh, uh, people experiencing homelessness or those who are in the community that really don't have a... Uh, a, a group of people uh, to be with so soup kitchens food banks uh, i served on the board of uh, saint vincent de paul in cordelaine uh, worked for a while as a volunteer at their help center also um, uh, participated in what then was be- uh, just becoming a winter shelter and tried to continue that work when we moved here uh, eight years ago so we've been doing outreach to the camps um for probably six of those eight years. Uh, Other than that, I've been volunteering at Jericho Road and also at St. Vincent de Paul. And now I'm on the board of Jericho Road. Those of us doing outreach really felt uh, there was a a need for more than just going out to the camps and helping individuals with water, propane, food. There needed to be a way out of, what we call a bridge out of. And um, uh, we were literally sitting around one evening after uh, a potluck and said, there's, there's got to be more that we can do. And it was at that time, really, that Opportunity Village in Eugene uh, was getting some publicity. So we decided to look into it, decided that uh, uh, that was a, a very viable, a very economical way of, of trying to help individuals who uh, were experiencing houselessness to get back into what I call just normal society, safe shelter.
0: So you are chairman of the board of the Oasis Village project here in Redmond. Tell us a little bit about that. What is Oasis Village?
3: Um, uh, We're a nonprofit registered here in Oregon. And our purpose is to try to uh, uh, develop, uh, collect funds, donations, uh, to be able to build what uh, what is typically called now a, a village model of transitional shelter, getting people out of, whether it's an RV parked on the city streets, a tent, somewhere inside or out of sight, uh, or the folks around here who are largely out of sight in the junipers, or as they like to refer to it, out in the dirt. Um, provide the um, uh, the safety the security that is necessary for them to uh, begin to to uh, participate in a kind of a a normal safe life uh, uh, cycle uh, and then develop whatever is needed whether it's uh, identification a birth certificate a driver's license an address turns out to be critically important if they're going to look for work um, and the wraparound services whether it's uh, addiction counseling job, uh, seeking a job, uh, working on budgeting, uh, or simply learning learning the skills to come back into society.
0: What does Oasis Village look like physically?
3: Physically, what it will look like, uh, if you've seen any pictures of Hope Village in Medford, uh, very, very similar. They'll have a, a privacy fence. Um, which is not meant to keep uh, the folks in, it's not gonna be chain link and barbed wire, but it'll be more like a six foot white plastic fence so that the individuals there have safety, uh, security and and privacy. Um, the individuals themselves, so that they can come as couples or possibly with pets, would be uh, housed in a, what, we, what I like to refer to as a tiny bedroom, typically about 100 to 120 square feet uh, and then there would be congregate facilities, facilities shared by everybody in the village, uh, kitchen area, dining area, certainly restrooms, showers, uh, those type, uh, so that um, the, the idea that I have is that it would it would essentially uh, give everyone who lives there um, the the feeling of home split up into individual pieces, but a home-like setting. So some type of living room. Uh, my dream is to have the individuals who come to Oasis Village, along with community members, uh, construct, uh, put up a yurt made over in um, on the west side, and that would be The space where they'd be able to get on a computer so they have wi-fi access maybe have a radio or a tv or someplace where they could go and and read a book just um, a quiet space
0: and this would be managed through jericho road correct
3: would be managed through oasis village Uh, we're putting the finishing details on what's called a fiscal sponsorship Uh, We don't have 501c3 status yet, but Jericho does. And so uh, the money would come through Jericho, but uh, all of the development and the management right now would be with Oasis Village.
0: So speaking about money, because it all comes down to money, talk to us about funding for the project. Redmond Rotary recently gave you the largest donation you've received to date of $10,000. Where will the rest of your funding come from?
3: Well, we're developing right now uh, a community funding uh, project uh, outreach for the tiny bedrooms. Hayden, Hay- Hayden Homes has agreed to partner with us. They'll be in charge of the construction of these. They are already, have, of course, have helped with the Veterans Village Um, bedrooms, tiny bedrooms, tiny homes, as they call them there, in Bend, as well as those at St. Vincent de Paul. The ones that we'll be using will be just a slight modification of what they're constructing for St. Vincent's. Um, We hope that there will be and plan to have community groups, churches, civic organizations, families, individuals, contributing so that we will have initially about 10 to 12 of these tiny bedrooms. For most of the congregate facilities, we'd be going to foundations asking for support. Most of because they're much more expensive. The tiny homes are approximately six to eight thousand dollars a piece, but all of the other facilities are fifty to one hundred thousand dollars plus.
0: What about the land where these tiny bedrooms will sit? Will you be purchasing land?
3: Almost all I would say ninety ninety five percent of the the villages that we've looked at not only in Oregon and elsewhere have started on leased facilities, and that's the reason that most of the the congregate uh, units are basically on wheels they're not on a uh, slab uh, uh, concrete slab foundation so land has been the biggest issue uh, we had we went into this um, hoping expecting that the city of Redmond would be like uh, other places medford eugene uh, allow us uh, to lease uh, some property typically in the industrial area uh, for a period of time and, until um, we either bought or uh, somebody donated land uh, that hasn't worked out that way the county right now is offering is discussing with us uh, a 10 acre parcel that would still be within the city limits of of uh Redmond, but it's county owned, so uh, both the city and the county uh, would be involved in what could go there and how we would get the utilities to it.
0: What is your prediction of when construction might begin on this project.
3: Um, I'm not sure it's a prediction because it's going to be wholly dependent um, on fund development, as well as the land. Um, uh, What I can say is when when from the time that we are able to break ground almost all of the other villages are done within six to nine months meaning done in sense of having occupancy, not fully, uh, fully built out. But typically, they start with anywhere from eight to 15 units, and then build up from there. And that's our expectation. Our hope is that we can get a commitment from the county and hence uh, get the fundraising for the major units. And I would like to see uh, people moving into the village uh, late next summer, fall, certainly before another winter goes by.
2: That's what I was just going to say. I mean, winter is upon us. We've already had some pretty cold nights. Uh, So this is not going to be able to happen as quickly as you would hope. Uh, So what do people do in the meantime? I guess that's my question. I know it's, is there an answer to that?
3: Not a satisfactory one. (laughs) Um, One of the things that astounded me when, uh, because my wife and I were in at the very beginning of when the uh, winter shelter here in Redmond transitioned from Highland Baptist to a group of churches, as I really expected, the, the the folks that we were essentially ministering to out in <clears throat> out in the junipers uh, to come in because it is very cold out there uh, and it's not terribly safe. But the safety aspect of it meant that uh, up until very recently. None of the roughly 100 to 175, 200 individuals who are out east of town or camped uh, in town uh, go to the winter shelter because it's not safe to leave their belongings. Uh, That makes life exceedingly difficult, very, very difficult. Um, We've gone from uh, the first couple of years uh, that the shelter, the winter shelter operated, you know, six to 10 people a night to uh, winter before last, there were over 20. That was when uh, Ben was having trouble getting one open and it was near the, the sheriff's department. We expect that uh, uh, last year it was closer to 18 to 20 a night, but with the Ben shelter being full, there's a very good chance that uh, people will be coming to Redmond so there, we could have anywhere from uh, average of anywhere from 20 to 30 plus uh, folks a night in the, in the winter shelter here in Redmond.
0: Bob, do you see Oasis Village as being a low barrier shelter?
3: Indeed, um, uh, many people I think are aware that uh, the Bethlehemian Redmond, as I call it, uh, is a high barrier shelter, which means uh, you cannot come in uh, being uh, using drugs or uh, even alcohol. Um, and so, we what we really need is what Shepherd's House is developing, but won't have available for one to two years, and what. Um, Oasis Village intends to be is is low barrier. Um, that's how the winter shelter operates right now as a low barrier shelter, so that the use of drugs, alcohol are are not permitted at all on site. Uh, and part of the reason for opening a low barrier shelter is to help people, uh, if you will, kick the habit, whether it's alcohol or drugs, um, because it's, it's a much easier to find a job, uh, almost essential that uh, Uh, to to even get on a waiting list for a place to rent or buy Uh, and that would be one of the primary purposes of having wraparound services at Oasis Village to help people along that path.
2: So I'm a little confused. If you don't allow um, people to use drugs or alcohol at a low barrier shelter, what's the difference between a low barrier and a high barrier shelter?
3: Uh, initially it's uh the ability the ability to get in. A high barrier shelter allows uh those who are not currently using uh essentially a breathalyzer or a blood test to get in whereas a, lo- a low barrier shelter says you may come in but you may not use on site and if your behavior becomes disruptive then we can ask you to leave. That's James, the primary.
0: James we talked about the junipers. I'm going to bring you back into the conversation for a minute. Talk to us about the Collective Action Sunday Kitchen Program. What is that?
1: Yeah, Redmond Collective Action is a a group that um, sprang up uh, partly out of response to COVID. And uh, what they do is each Sunday, they uh, go out to 17th Street, uh, east of Redmond, and provide a meal and other services to the people who are living out there. Um, it's a way to uh, provide uh, needed services, but also a way to uh, help build community, uh, help to show the people who are living out there that there are people in our community who care, and you know who are working uh, to help them improve their lives as well. It's it's a um, mutual aid model, which means uh, they are basically out there. They're they're not a nonprofit they uh, they raise funds to do what they do as they need but they've done some incredible things out there they've started uh, cleanups uh, happening oh every couple months uh, one thing about the uh, the last cleanup there uh, local businesses provided dumpsters uh, the city provided a dumpster uh, a local church group went out to help. Uh, the people who are living out there were very much a part of and helping to to run and manage the cleanup, identifying spots that needed cleanup. Uh, uh, Redmond Collective Action raised the money to uh, give people gas cards for participating, uh, that type of thing. So the th- it's this and the work that Jericho Road does is kind of typical of Redmond. It's people in the community seeing a need. And, and being willing to address it and, and moving forward to address it. And uh, I think that's really uh, says something about the Redmond community that, you know, our efforts are really driven, have been driven in the past by a volunteer basis. And we're looking forward to, uh, to building upon that.
0: That's amazing. And we are getting close to our time, Marianne, um, Bob, James, where can our listeners go for more information or to find out how they can help?
3: Jericho Road currently has a website and and several programs. They can find that online. I'll have to ask people to wait about another 10 days or two weeks and soon they'll be able to go to uh, oasisvillageor.org and uh, get more information. We should be going live, I expect, with our website within two weeks.
1: James? Uh, I'm always happy to have people reach out to me. My email is jim at studiojmc.com. I also head up our Redmond service provider group, which meets monthly to discuss issues around homelessness uh, in Redmond. Uh, And we're happy to have people join that. Again, if they contact me, I get them the information.
2: Great. Thank you. So we are out of time for this portion of the show, and we want to thank you both so very, very much for joining us this morning. It was a great. And
0: for all you do.
2: Yes, absolutely. For all both of you do. Yes. And good luck with your projects. Good luck with Oasis Village. And I hope that the information that you shared today will open up people's hearts and help them join you in these projects.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's really. It's really wonderful to have a chance to discuss these issues in longer than a two-minute soundbite or a one- or two-sentence statement in the newspaper. Uh, These are really important issues, and we appreciate KPOV being there so we can discuss them.
0: That's what we do.
2: You've been listening to a KPOV Critical Conversation. To hear more engaging interviews on important topics, please visit
0: kpov.org/critical-conversations.